Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC Football Podcast, Week 8 Recap Edition. My name is Joey Weaver. I'm a Georgia Tech grad and a Louisville fan. He is Mike McDaniel. He's a Virginia Tech fan, or Virginia Tech grad and a Notre Dame fan. Man, that's been a long weekend, Mike. Uh, Mike, first question, how are you, sir? How was your trip to Blacksburg? It was really good, Joey, but uh, are we hurt or are we injured after this weekend? Because both of us had homecoming games that we went to which generally means going downtown and hitting the local bars or pre-gaming really hard so the real question for you joey is are you hurt today or are you injured uh i'm hurt i'm playing hurt um you can hear maybe a little bit of raspiness in the voice it was a bit of a long night of you know yelling and of course drinking and all that good stuff um so you know playing playing through it today it's going okay um but it was a good trip. You know, we had a lot of fun. Uh, it was also my wife's birthday on uh, Saturday, so we got to enjoy it with some friends and such over some football and uh, adult beverages and such. So it was a it was a really good weekend. Hope the travel went well for you. Uh, I know it was a big uh, big old win for your team. My team did well. We'll get into those here in a little bit. But we got to talk about some of these games. And Mike, I don't know that I've ever been more confused about the ACC this season than I am right now off of these games because man, there were some weird weird results this weekend. It was funny because last week we were recapping week seven, and I think that was one of the first things I said to you. Just when I think I have a handle on the ACC, something crazy happens. The middle of the conference right now, I mean, forget about the top teams. We can debate those all day long. We can talk about Miami. We can talk about Clemson. We can talk about NC State. Virginia Tech's in the conversation as well as far as the top three or four teams in the conference. But where it really gets crazy is the middle of this conference right now. So many games have gone on the past two weeks, especially, where we're sitting here saying, man, we have a pretty good handle on what these teams are. We think this result's going to happen. And more often than not, especially the last two or three weeks, the exact opposite of what we've expected to happen has ended up occurring on the field. So another crazy weekend across the ACC. Week 8 leaves more questions than answers, I think. Well, Mike, it's the Atlantic division in particular that I am just at a loss for how to handicap any of those teams at this point. I think there's a perfect uh, a perfect example of that. We'll start off here. Louisville 31, Florida State 28. Lamar Jackson continues to terrorize Florida State after, you know, after doing so last year. This game caught me totally off guard, Mike. Uh, this was in Tallahassee. I figured uh, Louisville had looked pretty terrible for a couple weeks straight. I figured this was going to be a, a romp, you know, for FSU to to come out and, and get right a little bit here, and they lose the game outright, fall to two and four. Lamar Jackson, 156 yards and a touchdown through the air, and then 178 yards and a touchdown on the ground. He was huge in this game. He continues to um, be the the sole life of Louisville's offense for the most part. Uh, they got touchdowns from Reggie Bonifon and Day Williams as well, but. 
most importantly was what Lamar Jackson did, especially on the ground, 23 carries. Again, I mean, he was uh, electric in this game. Florida State's defense, I thought, was going to have a lot easier time containing him and, and really making him miserable and making him pay for embarrassing them last year. And that was not the case at all. Uh, as Louisville somehow, you know, pulls out a win here in, in a game where this wasn't like a, a, a last-second win kind of situation. This was, you know, Florida State had to come back, you know, to tie it in the middle of the fourth quarter, and then Louisville kicks a field goal basically as time expires to, to win the game uh, at the very end. But I, this was not at all how I expected this game to go, Mike, and I don't think you expected this either. Yeah, I didn't. Um, a couple of untimely interceptions by James Blackman, I think, is really what did Florida State in here. Um he threw the ball better. Uh, if we want to just start by talking about Florida State's offense, I mean, they Blackman, 248 yards. He was 16 of 28 throwing the football, two touchdowns, two picks. They ran the ball okay. Cam Akers and Jacquez Patrick combined uh, 30 carries for, what was it, 155 yards? Um, or 145 yards, sorry. Uh, Matt's hard. So uh, offense moved the ball all right. Uh, I thought the defense of Florida State was pretty good, but I, it was kind of weird to me because I thought Florida State's priority in this football game would be containing Lamar Jackson and making him throw to beat you because Louisville's receivers, for the most part this year, have had trouble winning their one-on-one battles on the outside. And when you combine that with the fact that Louisville's offensive line really hasn't been all that good, it's been a recipe for disaster for the, for the Louisville offense, and it's been a reason why they've lost – a few games here over the past month or so is, you know, the receivers just haven't won on the outside, and Lamar Jackson has to hold on to the ball a little bit longer than he's used to. But in this game, and maybe that was Florida State's game plan, and if it was, they didn't perform well at all in carrying that out. Uh, like you mentioned, Jackson goes for 178 yards on the ground and a touchdown, 13 of 21 passing for 156 and a score. You know, in my opinion, if you slow down Lamar Jackson and you cut off the snake at the head, right, you have a great chance of beating Louisville. Uh, they let Lamar Jackson get loose and get comfortable running the football. It opened up the passing game to a degree. He threw the ball a lot better in the second half than he did in the first. And because of that, Louisville is able to escape with a win here on the road against Florida State. This is a big win for Louisville coming off of that loss to BC a week ago. Big time win for Lamar Jackson. Big time for Louisville's bowl game chances. We talked about that entering the game in our preview. Louisville's kind of been shaky here. Uh, with some of the games they've dropped of late, it was good to see them get back on track. But as for Florida State, I have no idea what to e- where to even start with this team now. I thought it was the quarterback play, right? I, I assumed they'd throw the ball better with James Blackman, and they had a good enough running game. I figured they'd be a dangerous team down the stretch because of how good their defense is. But they found a way to lose again. They're now 2-4, and four, and I think we might be approaching the territory of FSU has a bunch of athletes, but they're not all that good, similar to maybe Miami teams of the past or Virginia Tech teams of the past even um, as, as a Hokie alum. So it's interesting. I don't know what to really think about Florida State. Maybe they're just bad at this point, but a good win for Louisville here in a game that did, definitely did not go as I expected. At the very least, Florida State is really struggling to put together a complete game at this point. Um, even in their two wins, you know, they've been kind of eking them out uh, against Wake and against Duke, uh, both of them by seven points. They haven't gotten totally blown out this year, I wouldn't say, except maybe by Alabama, depending on how you want to quantify a blowout. So I don't know if this is a bad luck thing, if this is just Florida State's coming up on the wrong end of a couple of close games and it's, you know, they're just going to be kind of snake bit with the way it goes, you know, 
maybe in the way that like a Notre Dame was last year, going four and eight and losing seven games by like a possession. Um, but you're right that I mean James Blackman is is starting to come around a little bit. I don't know if if he's improving as much as they're adjusting the offense to fit him. But still making some untimely mistakes. He had the two picks in this game. One of them was ultimately pretty meaningless at the end of the first half. But um, another one coming right at the uh, after Louisville scores, kicks off, and he throws another pick and, and puts the defense right back out. And that was how uh, they, they go down two touchdowns early in the second half. Definition um, of untimely there. Yeah, not great. Um, so, there, you know, there's a lot of, of – room for improvement here at Florida State. I, I, I'm with you. Like, I can't really believe that they aren't any better than they are. The defense is as talented as they are. I, I thought it was going to have an easier time here in a game where Louisville does not have a very good offensive line. I thought that they would be able to give Lamar Jackson a lot more problems, and realistically, they just didn't. Um, I don't know what to make of this Florida State team at all. I, I wonder if they might be quitting a little bit, uh, especially on defense where they're maybe getting fed up with getting no help from the offense. Um, Akers and Patrick not getting as much traction in this game as I would have expected against a, a what has usually been a lackluster Louisville defense. But, yeah, this this game caught me really off guard, Mike. And um, I think it's maybe one of those, you know, how the game went really was more of the decider rather than one team being objectively better than the other. Um, but it just it continues to throw a lot of, of uncertainty my way when I'm trying to figure out who's good in the Atlantic division. I think you get past Clemson and NC State at this point, and you're talking about five teams that could kind of sh- come come out and do anything on any given night. I mean, you just saw Syracuse beat Clemson a week ago. We're going to talk about Boston College here in a little while rolling Virginia this week. Um, we think that Louisville's you know, terrible, and Florida State just needs a jump start, and then Louisville comes out and beats them outright. Um, I, I don't know what to do here. This is <laughs> this is kind of a weird time for the, uh, the Atlantic Division, and uh, – I, I, I don't know where it's going to go moving forward, but I'm very curious to find out. And there are people on Twitter, too, that are asking me to write certain things. Like, what do you think of my team? And it's a bad answer, but I don't know is the answer more often than not. It's like, I don't really know what I think of your team right now. Um, there are a handful who I think I have a pretty good handle on, like Clemson, um, Miami. I, I'm pretty certain at this point. We'll get into them in a second. Uh you know, Virginia Tech, I don't really know. NC State, I think they're pretty good. But outside of those four, um, I, I like Georgia Tech's team a lot. Don't want to omit them. So I guess outside of those four or five teams, like the rest of the conference right now is completely up in the air. It's just, mm-hmm. it's it's very weird how these games are going. I continue to think that it'll be that way moving forward. I'm looking at the Atlantic Division right now, and NC State and Clemson are combined uh, 12 and two overall. The other five teams all have either three or four losses on the season. <laughs> you got, it's just it kind of kind of crazy. It's like a smorgasbord, you know. You got your it bad is. teams, you got your good teams. I don't even really want to call them bad teams. Like I thought BC was bad, and now they've rattled off two straight wins. So I, you know, who knows? But we'll figure it out. Smorgasbord is a pretty good word there. I like that. Thank um, you. Louisville 31, Florida State 28. Let's move on, Mike. Uh, as America's team of the week, the Syracuse Orange fall uh, in, in graceful and, and uh, they, well, they almost got it done, but then they didn't. Number eight, Miami 27, Syracuse 19. Um, this was uh, this was an entertaining game to watch. This was a lot, I think, closer than people thought it was going to be. Miami, when we did the preview, Mike, the 
the spread in this game was Miami minus 13 and a half. By the time it kicked off, it was at like Miami minus 17. Like the spread blew up pretty quickly. Um, I ended up making a little bit of money taking Syracuse plus 17. I, I thought Miami minus 13 and a half was about right, but then the, the number got so big that I ended up going the other way with it. Um, Syracuse hung around in this game. Uh, Miami kind of continues to struggle to really beat down on teams that they probably should. Um, at one point in the uh, in the fourth quarter, I believe it was, it was 20 to 19. I mean, it was a one-point game on Miami's home turf, and then Travis Homer puts it away with a 33-yard run. Eric Dungey was good in this game to a certain degree. Um, he was kind of good in spurts. I mean, he threw four picks, which isn't great. I'm uh, not going to win you an ACC Player of the Year award or anything like that, but um, he, he's some pretty gutty running. Um, he had a couple of lengthier carries, one of which we'll talk about that was like maybe my favorite thing I saw all weekend and maybe all month. Um, we'll get there. But Malik Rozier, 26 of 43, 344 and two touchdowns. Travis Homer, a, a bit of a more pedestrian effort from him this, this week. 20 carries for 95 yards and a touchdown. Um, that 33-yard that touchdown run. Um, Syracuse's defense is, I think the word I've heard, I would maybe describe them with is plucky. Um, they they kind of just give you a lot more problems than you think they will. Um, I, I don't know that they have any real superstars on that defense, but they've put in some pretty good efforts the last couple weeks against Miami and Clemson now. So don't sleep on Syracuse there uh, when, when you're playing them from the Atlantic Division. But um, my, what, what was your big takeaway from this game? Oh, man. Um, my big takeaway. Uh, I was impressed with Miami's defense. Uh, it's, it's weird to say that because, you know, they gave up, you know, 200 yards on the ground to Strickland and Dungy. Uh, but... They force turnovers. I mean, Eric Dungy throws four picks. Um, untimely interceptions, to say the least. Uh, we, we could talk about untimely interceptions all podcast, to be honest with you, with the way some of these games went this weekend. Uh, yeah, I was impressed with Miami's defense. Uh, I was not as impressed with Miami's offense, and I haven't been. I, I think the best way to, to describe them is inconsistent. Uh, 344 yards, two touchdowns for Malik Rozier, but he just really was kind of just okay in this game. Um, Travis Homer, I mean, outside of that 33-yard touchdown run, he had nothing going on the ground. I mean, he finishes 20 carries, 95 yards, and a touchdown, a little bit inflated. I mean, considering 33-yard touchdown run on that final drive. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is tough. I mean, once again, Miami is one of these teams, and, I, I you know, their fans have been coming after me all day on Twitter. Um, I guess I started it by tweeting out this morning that Miami's 6-0 start reminds me of 2012 Notre Dame, where they have a really fantastic defense that is keeping them afloat while the offense is really inconsistent, and they're winning games by very tight margins, but I'm not really impressed with them at all, if that makes sense. It's credit where credit's due that Miami's undefeated, but by the same token, Miami fans need to be objective with this and realize that while they're 6-0 and and while they're ranked in the top 10, we're going to be finding out a lot about Miami in the next month. Miami has Notre Dame and Virginia Tech both at home coming up in November. Those are two massive games for this program. There's no other way to put it. Maybe two of the biggest games that Miami has had in, wow, what do you think, like the last seven, eight, nine years? 
I, you know, I mean, this yeah. is, yeah, I mean, we're in a situation here where Miami is, is close. They're on the upswing, right? And you can say that they're close and they're heading in a good direction, while at the same time also acknowledging that they're probably a bit overrated at this point in time. A win's a win. They're 6-0. and Good for them. But their fans need to realize that if Notre Dame or Virginia Tech were to blow Miami out in November, that would likely only surprise Miami's fan base. I, I think it's a fair assessment. Um, the the thing that I can't get out of my mind here, Mike, is that in a home game against you know four and three Syracuse, you were plus three in turnovers and won by eight. Um, I mean that that's that's the recipe for you know you should have blown the doors off Syracuse in this game. You know the, the, you should have covered seventeen. Frankly, this is probably like a three score kind of game, and, and it took a late touchdown with a plus three turnover margin to, uh, to win by eight, you know, like that's, that's not the sign of a team that really deserves to be in the top 10 right now. Um, the slow start kind of continued a little bit. Um, I guess to a certain degree, I mean, Miami struggled to finish drives at times in this game. Um, they had a whole lot of, of drives where they were getting two and three first downs and then having to punt. Um, first drive of the game goes 13 plays, 74 yards, kick a field goal. Um, you know, they kicked a field goal from inside the five yard line, which not not for me, but you know. Okay, real quick. Do what you're gonna do. Yeah, real Let quick. Freak, freak flag fly. Yeah, so real quick. I mean, that's been the problem with Miami, right? I mean, they've. It's not that they're not moving the football; they are. Uh, they're moving the ball right up the field, and they're struggling to finish drives. They're struggling on third down. Um, those are two areas where they absolutely need to improve. They're not going to beat a good defense like Virginia Tech or Notre Dame down the stretch by kicking field goals. Now, Virginia Tech has problems of their own. We'll get into that later. They won 59-7 to against North Carolina. They got plenty of problems that I'll talk to shortly. But, you know, Miami needs to do a better job at finishing drives. I think that's what it really comes down to at this point. And I think they're a bit overrated right now in the top 10. Uh, it's good to have Miami undefeated, right? It's good for college football, I you know. As critical as we've been of Miami, it's good for college football when they're good. Much like it's good for college football when, like, Notre Dame's good, right? It's teams that have won multiple national championships. At Texas is another great example. Like, when they're good, it's all the more interesting in college football, just based off the history that they have at those three programs that I just mentioned. So, Miami's 6-0. and Definite contender to win the Coastal Division, without a doubt. They control their own destiny, right? So... You know, beat Virginia Tech. That's really the only game that matters to them right now. Because you beat Virginia Tech, you lose, but say you lose to Notre Dame and you go to the ACC championship with one loss and you beat a one-loss Clemson, you're still going to have a case to get in, in my opinion. So it's a one-game, one-to-two-game season. You try to beat Virginia Tech and beat Notre Dame if you're Miami. If you fall to those two teams, then you realize that you're a little bit further away than you thought from being back. I mean, being back for Miami is competing for national championships, and they want to put themselves in the best position to do so. To do that, they got to do better on third down. They have to finish drives, and they need to beat down teams that they're supposed to beat down. Um, Syracuse upsets Clemson last week at home. They come in. Miami is in control for a good bit of the game, but then all of a sudden you turn around, and it's 20-19 to 19 Miami with four minutes left, and you're thinking, is Syracuse going to find a way to pull this off? on the road and that's when you start to worry if you're a Miami fan that like you said four turnovers for Eric Dungy defense is playing so well 
yet you're only up a point with four minutes left. And it took a miracle to beat Georgia Tech last week at home. You know, you beat down a Duke team that lost again on Saturday. And, you know, that was probably the most complete effort that they had all season from a four-quarter standpoint. So Miami's doing enough to get by right now. But I think the bigger question is, will they be doing enough to get by a few weeks from now when they have Virginia Tech and Notre Dame coming up, two tougher opponents remaining on their schedule? Because outside of those two games, Miami is set as far as the regular season is concerned. They have UNC, they have Virginia, and they have Pitt. But they also have the two-game window there where they have ND as well as Virginia Tech in back-to-back weeks. And I think that's really going to decide, obviously, what Miami's going to be. At worst, they're a two-loss team right now in the regular season. At best, I think they're an undefeated team. But more than likely, they split those games between Virginia Tech and Notre Dame, at least based off of what I've seen so far out of Miami. I don't think they're playing consistent enough football to survive back-to-back weeks against those two caliber of opponents. Just throwing it out there, Mike. Just Miami throwing is it out 6-0 there. with three conference wins so far. Or four, excuse me. Three of them were two games in which they trailed with 15 seconds left in the game. And one of them was an eight-point win over Syracuse at home when they had a plus-three turnover margin. Like, they were punting the ball in plus territory. They're kicking field goals from inside the five-yard line, which, by the way, is peak Mark Richt. He did that at Georgia, too, and it, I, I laughed every time. I, I, I have very real concerns as to whether this is a legit top-ten Miami team. Um, it doesn't mean they're not good. They're good. But they're it very good. Calls into question, you know, are they legitimate, you know, number eight in the team type of type of uh, type of team. So, in any case, um, we'll we'll see if the team can kind of rally and and really get rolling because they do have a couple of tough tests coming up here not too long from now. Uh, you're right; they got to take on both Virginia Tech and Notre Dame uh, games that are very very losable. Um, but you know, Miami hadn't lost yet, so maybe they'll find a way to pull those out too. Miami 27, Syracuse 19. By the way, Mike, in this game, did you see the the first drive of the game, Eric Dungy threw an interception and then took the ball back from the Miami defender that caught the ball? Had to be absolutely infuriating for Miami fans when that play yeah. took place. Yeah, Demetrius Jackson catches, a, catches an interception off of a tipped pass, and then Eric Dungy runs up and rips it out of his arms and takes it back. Uh Folks, you know, uh, Georgia Tech fans will remember Josh Nesbitt doing that to a certain degree against Florida State in 2009. Um, I, I'm just questioning, Mike, does does Eric Dungy get the turnover chain for that one? I think he might. I think he might. I think he might. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's kind of – I haven't figured out the mechanics of, you know, if a guy gets a turnover but then, then turns it over himself – where where the ownership of the chain stops is that, is that give away or take away like what do you like yeah what are we going for dungeon? you know there were two takeaways on that play but only one of them was by your team i don't know yeah so uh eric dungy maybe not the leader in the clubhouse right now for acc player of the year but he does have rights to the turnover chain from miami so uh go eric dungy you're the man acc player of the year uh make it happen Number eight, Miami, 27, Syracuse, 19. Let's move on, Mike, to the game that I was at, Georgia Tech, 38, Wake Forest, 24. Uh, This game was pretty frustrating in the first half to watch for Georgia Tech. Um, Really, on both sides of the ball, they were were underperforming. Um, The defense was having a pretty tough time stopping Wake Forest's run attack. Um, They were moving the ball at will. Georgia Tech had to kick a field goal from uh, inside the Wake Forest five-yard line. 
Um, really, it was a it was a slow, slow start for Georgia Tech. They ended up kicking a field goal before halftime to pull within 21-13. And then they rode some huge plays coming right out the gate in the second half. Uh, first snap, I guess Wake goes uh, three and out on the initial uh, drive coming out of halftime. First play for Georgia Tech's a 49-yard touchdown run by Taquan Marshall. And that was kind of where things started to go was – uh, they, they scored three touchdowns in the second half on of runs of 49, 42, and, uh, and I think 70. Yeah, 70. So some big play touchdowns for the offense. The defense really started to uh, stand up, giving up only three points in the second half. They stoned Wake Forest on three separate fourth downs. Um, so the, the, the whole thing came to life in the second half, which was good. Um, Wake Forest, give them credit. I mean, they're they're a good football team. They they ran the ball well. Cade Carney was uh, giving Georgia Tech all sorts of issues in the first half. John Walford played in a decent game, uh, seventeen to thirty for two fifty two, two touchdowns and a pick. Um, but overall, I think Georgia Tech is is showing that they are a good team. Maybe not great, um, but they kind of continue to roll here as they're about to go into the real teeth of their schedule. Um, next three games at Clemson, at Virginia, and home against Virginia Tech. Um, at four and two, they need to win a couple probably to get into a bowl game. And it's, it's going to be tough sledding from here, but Georgia tech is no slouch, even as an unranked two loss team. Um, it, it just gets more and more frustrating thinking that they probably should be six and zero at this point in the season. Yeah. I mean, we, we've referred to Georgia tech as the anti Miami. I think that's mm. kind of where they're at. Um, you know, being four and two at this state, I mean, we could have easily seen Miami there, but you know, Miami sneaks out a couple wins, including one against Georgia tech, of course. Uh, a tale of two halves here in this game for Georgia Tech. I, I was able to catch a good bit of this. I had, you know, this game on. Um, I, I was at a bar. It was this game on, the Notre Dame game on against USC and Michigan, Penn State. So I was able to kind of catch most of all three. Uh, tale of two halves for Georgia Tech. I thought Taquan Marshall was very, very good. Uh, that's He's super impressive. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Paul Johnson absolutely made the right choice at quarterback. Most Georgia Tech fans know that already, but I'd just you know, like to remind them. They made the right choice at quarterback. Uh, Curvante Benson, good game, 136 and a touchdown. Um, good is relative. He's good every week, but good mm-hmm. game from him. Um, the return of John Wolford was something. 17 to 30, 252, two touchdowns, one pick. Uh, pretty much a no-brainer to insert him back into the starting lineup, uh, given their lack of a passing game last week. Uh, Cade Carney, like you mentioned, strong performance running the ball. Um, Greg you know, Dortch was great for Wake Forest. He, he catches 125 yards. Yeah, so I mean they sling. You know they've been slinging the ball around to Dortch specifically quite a bit this year. He's done a pretty nice job for them. And Wake Forest has emerged now. I mean they got an offense that is pretty solid. I mean this is a team that couldn't get the ball past 50 three years ago, and now they're you know putting up 24 points. They're competitive against Georgia Tech. I mean this was a competitive football game, like you mentioned. I mean Georgia Tech scores it a couple times late to put it away uh this is kind of how i saw the game going we were talking about in the preview it it was like you know wake forest i think they'll hang around but georgia tech's gonna show that they're the better team in the second half and kind of pull away make this like a double digit win that's pretty much what happened i mean wake forest was right in this football game they did a great job i thought defensively they hung in there but that georgia tech offense just because of the scheme alone through four quarters that'll really wear you down so uh good win for georgia tech uh you know, four and two on the year now. A little bit surprised they weren't in the top twenty-five. Uh, that was released, you know, today on Sunday as we record here. 
Uh, but I guess, you know, you find a way to win next week. I don't know, get to 5-2. and two. And then I think we're talking about Georgia Tech being a ranked team with two losses by two, two total points. So uh, this is definitely a top 25 team. Uh, it's not showing in the polls yet, but, you know, I guess some people like to say polls are kind of irrelevant until the last, like, three or four weeks of the year anyway. This was the first time, Mike, that I've seen Georgia Tech this year um, really bust off a lot of those big plays. Um, that's that's kind of been the thing that their offense has done well is uh, operate efficiently, but they they really haven't been able to you know rip off big plays much uh, throughout the season so far. And and this game was saw quite a bit more of that. Um, as you mentioned, Taquan Marshall, Cravante Benson, that that tandem has proven um, very very effective for Georgia Tech. They combined for 49 carries for 299 yards and three touchdowns. Um, as Georgia Tech as a whole goes for over 400 yards on the ground against a pretty good Wake Forest defense. Um, it was a little bit of a struggle in the first half, but they made some adjustments at halftime and, and really started to uh, slash through them a whole bunch in the second half. Uh, Georgia Tech had a fun reverse to Ricky June, got in there, um, a 30-yard carry. That was, that was pretty fun. Um, overall, Duke Edgefor should be mentioned, had three sacks in this game for Wake Forest. I don't totally know how we're quantifying sacks in this game, considering sometimes, yes, Taquan Marshall's getting tackled behind the line, but was he really trying to pass or not? Not really sure. Um, but in any case, yeah, this is a good win for Georgia Tech against a, a, a solid Wake Forest team. They they are 4-3 and three at this point. You know, one of those several three-loss teams in the Atlantic Division. But, I mean, Wake is solid. And, and this was a, a bit of a dangerous spot for Georgia Tech. And to come away with a victory, especially in this manner, you know, uh, a two-touchdown win, that's a, that's a big win for the Jackets. So, uh, a really, really solid um, showing, I guess, before moving on here into the real teeth of the schedule. One last quick thing on, on Georgia Tech. Uh, coming off of that brutal loss last week to Miami, it was good to respond the way they did coming back home. Homecoming weekend, sold-out crowd there in Atlanta. I mean, that's that's a big win. And that's, that's a Wake Forest team that, you know, like we've talked about, they are on the upswing. I mean, this is a program that the last two years has really come alive. I mean, this is uh, for Dave Clawson to bring this team to where they're at now is such a vast improvement compared to where they've been in the past. The last two seasons, I mean, Wake Forest has absolutely been moving in the right direction. So this is a good win against a very competitive and very hard-nosed Wake Forest team, especially defensively. And it was encouraging for Georgia Tech in the second half to make the adjustments they did um, and you know be able to play tough but you know pull away. I, I think that should be you know, lauded to a degree because Wake Forest in the first half did a great job almost completely shutting down the Georgia Tech running game. It was kind of a topsy-turvy game in that ma- in that manner, but a good win for Georgia Tech here uh, coming off of that loss last week against Miami. Yeah, Georgia Tech now on the road next weekend at Clemson. That's a, that's a game where Georgia Tech has nothing to lose, and, you know, Clemson's been a little inconsistent. Now they're going to be coming off a bye, and, I you know, I'm not – really like concerned for Clemson in that game at all but um just something to keep in mind could could get a little wonky you never know Georgia Tech 38 Wake Forest 24 moving on Mike oh man no way Pittsburgh 24 Duke 17 the Panthers are on the board in conference play hold on hold on did Pitt run the ball Pitt ran the dang ball Mike 
Mike, let's play a game of who was Pitt's leading rusher, and I'll give you a hint. It's not a game of name that quadri or a name of name that defensive back either. Oh, man, Joey, I'm cheating a little bit. Darren Hall was the leading rusher in this football game. Look at you, Darren Hall. 24 carries for 254 and three touchdowns. He had a 92-yard touchdown run in this game. He was giving Duke all sorts of issues. Um, I don't know where this came from because it's not like Duke is a poor defensive team, and it's not like Pitt has ever proven at all that they can block for you know running or just in general. And now all of a sudden – they just rip off, you know, what was it, about 300 rushing yards, uh, 336 and three touchdowns on the ground against a, a solid Blue Devils defense. Daniel Jones uh, was not good Daniel Jones this weekend. Let's just say that. 15 of 33, 272, two touchdowns and a pick. Um, seven carries for eight yards. So he continues to be a lot more pedestrian than I think a lot of us thought he was going to be this season. Uh, meanwhile, TJ Roming, eight catches, 142 yards and a touchdown. He is literally the dude that you need to guard if you're – defending Duke because he is fantastic and he is he has done a whole lot for this team Mike where did this come from how did this happen did you get a chance to watch this game bits and pieces um I, I you know I was on the radio that was tailgating I kind of all over the place yesterday <laughs> before the tech game, Virginia Tech game kicked off uh, yeah mediocre Daniel Jones showed up again reared his head um yeah, 15-33, 272, two touchdowns and a pick. Okay, fine. Offensive line, pretty bad. Uh, TJ Roming, like you mentioned, absolute stud. Uh, only guy you really need to defend against, I'd say, in the Duke receiving game right now, right? I mean, TJ Roming, eight catches, 142 and a touchdown. Really good there. It was weird. I mean, Duke's rushing defense has kind of been pedestrian all year. Pedestrian, you mentioned a moment ago. I mean, pedestrian's a good way to describe pretty much everything about Duke right now, but especially the run defense. And when you have Darren Hall go 24 carries for 254 and three touchdowns literally out of nowhere, I mean, he's just kind of been one of the guys in the Pittsburgh backfield the last few weeks, just a guy, just in the rotation. He goes for 254 and three scores, a 92-yard touchdown run in the first quarter. Ben DiNucci, 8 of 18, 149. If there's one thing that Pittsburgh needs to do, it's not throw the football. So... I think when you're throwing the ball, this is much like Wake Forest uh, a couple of years ago where we were all saying, oh, if Wake Forest throws the ball more than like 15 or 20 times a game, it's going to be a problem because they're going to turn it over. Same thing with Pittsburgh at this point. If they're going to throw the ball more than 15 or 20 times, it's likely going to be a problem. Well, Danucci didn't turn the ball over through the air on Saturday, 8 of 18, 149, no touchdowns, no picks, but they ran the ball so well that it didn't matter. They survive a tough game here um, against Duke. Good for Pittsburgh to get on the board in conference play. Now three and five. Duke is four and four. They go to Blacksburg next weekend, a game that yet again I'll be attending down there. And we're in a situation now with Duke where we don't really know what they got. Like this is a game that I thought Duke could win, just given kind of what they've been this year. Win here, lose there. I thought they could beat Pittsburgh. They didn't. The Virginia Tech game doesn't exactly look winnable, so I don't know. This is this is another one of those games that's really weird. We're talking about like the middle part of the ACC right now being super strange and not really knowing what to make of teams. I don't think either of these two teams are very good, but this game didn't go as I expected. This game was not without its controversy, Mike. Uh, early in the fourth quarter, Ben DiNucci throws a, a, about a 50-yard pass to Jester Wea down the middle of the field that is 
that is, is caught and puts a pit on the 11-yard line. Two plays later, Darren Hall runs it in for a touchdown. I tell you that Jester Wea caught it, and that maybe is only a little bit true because it was probably intercepted by a Duke defender. Probably should have been Duke football because then Wea wrestled it away from him as they were on the ground, basically. Um, kind of forced this simultaneous possession type of thing, but it looked like the Duke defender was already on the ground with the ball when that happened. Unfortunately, they do not get that call. Uh, Duke does not. And uh, two plays later, Pitt scores a touchdown to go ahead 21-17 in the game. Um, Duke had their issues in this game, finishing drives. Uh, That's kind of a theme right now with a lot of these teams that are struggling. Um, They kicked a field goal from inside the Pitt 10-yard line. They missed a field goal from inside the Pitt 20-yard line after a 10-play 57-yard drive. And at the end of the game, they had the ball on the 22-yard line through an interception with a minute 34 left. Um, so Duke was kind of getting some traction and, and moving the ball in a certain you know set of cases, but just unable to really finish the drill. Those, again, three drives that were lengthy and kind of got deep into pit territory resulted in three points, and that's the way that you lose a game by a touchdown. Um, Pitt also limited chances in this game. Uh, Pitt held onto the ball for almost 40 minutes, Mike. It was over 39 minutes that they held the ball, which is – Again, kind of their recipe for success at this point. But, um, yeah, kind of a weird game. Duke kind of keeps finding ways to, to lose games where they were probably the better team. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know what to say about them. Uh, again, Daniel Jones has not been what we expected him to be in a lot of cases this year. Doesn't really seem like it's getting better. Um, I don't know what to make of all this. Duke has kind of been a disappointment for the last month or so. I question if they can pull out of it in time to try to try to get another couple of wins uh, to make a bowl game. But there are four games left at Virginia Tech, at Army, home against Georgia Tech, at Wake. So three of their games on the, on the road. Um, Wake's a pretty good team. Georgia Tech's a pretty good team. Virginia Tech's a pretty good team. So where does Duke go from here, Mike? Army's a pretty good team. Not bad. I don't know. I don't know where Duke goes from here. They got to try to split and get a bowl game. I mean, I don't. I don't know where those wins come from. Um, you know, I don't want to try to guess. I've, you know, it's a complete crapshoot right now. Middle mm-hmm. of the conference, especially. I have no idea week to week what we're going to get out of some of these teams. Duke is one of those teams that I really still kind of at a loss trying to figure out. Yeah, not great in uh, in Durham so far. Um, yeah, sorry, Duke. Way to run the ball, Pittsburgh. Good win Panthers for Pitt. 24. Yeah, good win for Pitt. Yeah, kind of get them on the board in conference play, and maybe they can find a way to salvage a bowl game. They probably need like a 5-7 and seven APR bowl bid, uh, but games left against Virginia, UNC, Virginia Tech, and Miami. So if you're going to do it, Pitt, you better get it done the next couple of weeks because Virginia Tech and Miami is a hell of a way to close out the season. Get two wins, get to five. Try to pull an upset to get to six wins. If you can't do that, pray for 5-7 and seven APR, I guess, right? I think so, yeah most realistic Man. option at this point yeah duke has really fallen off here lately they've, they've dropped down to 79th in s&p plus this week um that's not great they're right behind missouri and a little bit just like two spots in front of rutgers if that tells you the kind of company they're keeping right now so not ideal uh anyways panthers 24 duke 17 moving on mike what the hell boston college 41 virginia 10 Virginia, like this is at home for Virginia and a game in which they were favored and they lose by 31. 
How Boston College has now scored 85 points in their last two games. What is going on, Mike? This is, again, this whole, like, can't handicap the Atlantic thing kind of starts with Boston College all of a sudden coming to life on offense. Yeah. Boston College has scored 86 points the last two weeks. They scored, what was it, 92 or 93 points in the first six weeks prior. They've almost equaled their offensive output from a scoring perspective the last two weeks than they did for the entire season before that. So it's crazy. I mean, it's they're they're clicking on offense right now. I don't know what it is. I mean, newfound running game. I mean, A.J. Dillon, 24 carries, 89 yards. I mean, he kind of struggled to get things going yesterday. It's very weird. But Anthony Brown, 275, three scores, was 19 of 24 passing. Virginia, for some reason, got away from the run. 12 carries, 58 yards for Jordan Ellis. And one of the main talking points here with Virginia is that they've done a great job at running the football. And because of that, they've kind of opened up the passing game for Kurt Benkert. Wasn't the case on Saturday. Benkert, 17 of 33, 126 in a pick. So just kind of a so-so performance. Um, I don't know. This is weird. I, I was not expecting this. I mean, Virginia 5-1 and one entering play. You know, contender, pretender. I mean, obviously, Virginia wasn't a contender in the Coastal, we didn't think. Uh, just looking at their caliber of, of opponent. Um, entering this game on Saturday, but with the, at the same time, we weren't expecting BC to come in and be a world beater. 41-10, to 10, you're a home favorite, you lose by 31. A game that was never competitive. Um, a very a very strange performance. I mean, Benker throws a pick, he leaves the game. Freshman Lindell Stone came in in relief, he threw two picks. Uh, it was... It was a solid performance by the Boston College defense. Um, this is kind of been the story of the year for BC's defense. Very mercurial in that regard. Just kind of up and down all over the place. Some weeks they're great. Some weeks they're not. Um, offense has been hit and miss. More miss than hit. And that's not just this year. That's many years before this. But now you've scored 45 points last week against Louisville. 41 points this week on the road at Virginia. And all of a sudden, is BC decent, Joey? I mean, they might be decent. <sighs> BC can't be de- Mike, they're doing it again. They're doing this thing where they, like, start winning games and they're going to keep Adazio from getting fired because he's, like, 6-6. Six and six, And then they go win a crazy, entertaining bowl game for no reason. And this is all very, it's all very upsetting to me, Mike. I, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of potentially decent Boston College when it generally looks how I do. Man, Anthony Brown has a hell of a game at quarterback for Boston College. Um, Kurt Benkert is replaced by Lindell Stone at one point, and they combined for three picks for Virginia. Everything is just like topsy-turvy in the ACC right now. This is just keeps – just nothing is like I expect it to be. I don't know what to what to believe anymore. Nothing is real. I, Mike – I'm all, I'm very upset. I'm very upset by this whole game and what's going on right now. I don't I don't know what to make of any of it. I'm having an identity crisis. Let's just yeah. Let's just move on from this one. This was weird. I don't <laughs> <laughs> BC forty one UVA ten and I don't even know why. Super weird and yeah. We'll we'll maybe we'll come back and deep dive that one yeah. next week if we got another data data point in another team. Completely completely unexpected. That's the best way to handle this one. I think. Yeah, luckily, luckily for uh, Boston College, they got a complete pushover coming to town next week when they take on the Florida State Seminoles. So, 
Uh, we'll, we'll get another uh, another data point on them next week and figure out what's real and what's not. Anyways, uh, last game, Mike, the one that you were at, number 14, Virginia Tech 59, North Carolina 7. My pick of the week to go over hit. Virginia Tech hit it themselves. Uh, thank you, Hokies, for making that happen. They got a couple of uh, defensive scores, special teams stuff going on there, uh, really to help jumpstart the, the point score in that game, and uh, things worked out nicely. Overall, really impressive showing from Virginia Tech here against a, a continuing to kind of spiral out a control North Carolina team, Mike. I can give you a strong 30-second analysis if you'd like. Please do. Here we go. Uh, North Carolina is super injured and super, super bad. Uh, Virginia Tech, two defensive scores. They strip. It's a strip sack of Chas Surratt, which was run back in for a touchdown um, on on. Their first drive, UNC's first drive at the game. Um, there was a pick six to really start the second half. Reggie Floyd takes a tip pass and brings it back to the house. Greg Stroman had a 91-yard punt return for a touchdown when, in all in essence, he was dead to rights at his own nine-yard line. He kind of scampered all around the field and then broke it up the sideline for 91 yards. Um, the Hokies blocked a punt, setting up another score. They had another interception later on in the football game that resulted in a field goal when the game was already well in hand. Uh, North Carolina, I learned why they're one of the worst teams in the country on third down. Their first four third downs of the football game, they had third and 30, third and 17, third and 15, and like third and 22. It was no attempt on third down on their first four drives was less than third and 15. So... North Carolina constantly playing behind the sticks in this football game. Virginia Tech's defense was completely dominant. I've gone well over 30 seconds, but I'm just going to continue real quick. Um, Keep going. Okay. Virginia Tech can't run the football. They can't. It's a major issue. It is a ma- it's going to be a major problem in the next month or so when they play Georgia Tech and Miami, two teams that do, a, at the very least, a decent job at stopping the run. They're both pretty above-average run defenses. And... Virginia Tech cannot run the football. Their leading rusher was Coleman Fox, seven carries, 58 yards. He came in with the second-string offense in the fourth quarter. The Hokies could not run the football at all. They haven't been able to run the football all season. That's a major problem because if we enter a situation here in the coming weeks where there are teams that can slow down the passing attack of Virginia Tech and they have to lean on the run, I don't think they can do it and beat some of these these really strong teams that are left on their schedule. So Virginia Tech 59, UNC 7, not without questions for the Hokies moving forward, especially in the running game. Need to clean that up here. They have one more tune-up game before Miami. They I use tune-up loosely because Duke is capable of doing who God knows what on a week-to-week basis. But the Hokies have Duke at home this upcoming weekend. We'll see what the Hokies can do here. Miami has UNC, so that'll be a nice tune-up game for Miami to get things right offensively on a consistent basis for all four quarters. But Hokies need to learn how to run the football. They really only have one week left to do it before getting Miami and Georgia Tech back-to-back, and I'm really concerned about the Hokies offensively moving forward. I'll point out, Mike, that one of the things you've talked about is in your concerns with this team are how slowly they tend to start, uh, particularly on offense. And the thing is that the Hokies led this game 35 nothing at halftime, but that's a little bit misleading to just say that in the context of them starting slow on offense because they scored five touchdowns in the first half and three of them were on defense and special teams. So the, the, the Hokies' offensive drive started out 
eight plays, 46 yards, missed field goal. Six plays, 21 yards, punt. Three plays, two yards, punt. Five plays, 37 yards, punt. Um, after that, they finished the first half, 12 plays, 55 yards, touchdown. Six plays, 70 yards, touchdown. So they got it rolling after a while, but it, it did take the offense quite a while to get going. And, and that, again, like you've said, uh, when, when Virginia Tech starts playing some of the, the, the real teeth of their schedule here in a couple of weeks against Miami and Georgia Tech, both on the road, um, that could start to become problematic, especially when, when you talk about a team that's struggling to run the ball, having to generate yards uh, through the air primarily where Josh Jackson has been inconsistent at best. Um, 10 of 20 for 132 yards and three touchdowns in this game. Three touchdowns looks nice. 50% completion, not as much. Um, so I, I, I don't know what to think about the Hokies offense here, Mike. I, I, I think there's still some questions. It's definitely a downgrade from where they were last year uh, with Gerard Evans and, oh, Isaiah Ford and Bucky Hodges and take your pick of all those guys that were, were really uh, lighting up scoreboards last year. But uh, this, is, this is a team that's playing off of its defense and is going to need to continue doing so. But for now, I mean, this is a, this is a good win uh, over North Carolina. Chaz Surratt goes out early with an injury. Brings in Brandon Harris, who, of course, uh, has two interceptions and four for 11 passing. He was, he was really not bad. Good. Really bad. Yeah, real real bad. Um, I don't know why they continue to try so hard to throw the ball at Brandon Harris. I think it's pretty clear at this point that that's a turnover waiting to happen. Uh, he goes out, injury, goes out with an injury. Chaz Surratt comes back in the game and isn't really a whole lot better. Um, between sacks and such, he ends up with 12 carries for negative 27 yards in this game. Four for eight passing, 94 yards and a touchdown. Um, yeah, UNC, just just pack it up. It's UNC's done at this point. They are so beat up, Mike. They're missing so many people. They've got games left at home against Miami, at Pitt, home against Western Carolina, and at NC State. Um, you're talking about like three and nine North Carolina at best. Um, and that's if they find a way to beat Pitt here in a couple weeks. So Lost season. Yeah, not looking great for the Tar Heels. Um Anyways, Virginia Tech 59, North Carolina 7. Uh, moving on, Mike, we got a couple more things we got to get to here. We got a Go ACC moment of the week. This was easily the greatest thing I have seen all weekend and maybe even like all month or potentially all season. Uh, this is in the, uh, I believe it was in the third quarter of Syracuse. Towards the end of the third quarter, Syracuse has the ball driving down into Miami territory. Eric Dungy uh, drops back to pass, gets kind of flushed out of the pocket and forced to run. He he gets about a first down and is met with uh, met by Sheldrick Red, Redwine coming up to make a tackle. Dungy tries to hurdle him. Problem is Sheldrick Redwine does not go down and, and under Dungy, and it ends up that Eric Dungy just like you know jump kicks Sheldrick Redwine. Gosh, that's a hard name to say. Um. This is it's hard to explain it on on audio, but if you go watch the video, it is pretty hilarious um, watching him just basically jump kick the guy in the face uh, and then go pick up four more yards. So um, that's a big old go ACC moment of the, of the week there to Sheldrick Rudwine taking a drop kick to the face from a, a scrambling quarterback in Eric Dungy. Yeah, I think Redwine was expecting Dungy to go low or sorry, other way around. Dungy was expecting Redwine to go low on the tackle, and so Dungy goes to hurdle him, and it ended up being basically what Antonio Brown did a couple years ago for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I believe that was in the opener, um, but he was running back a punt return, and 
kicked the punter in the face on the run back. That's basically what happened here. Um, Dungey does this completely unintentionally, but it looks intentional given that Redwine never went low. Um, really interesting play, completely hysterical. It made made the rounds around Twitter as being one of those plays that was basically straight out of like a Mortal Kombat video game. Uh, pretty hysterical moment there in the Syracuse-Miami game, and one of those highlights that will continue to be replayed for at least the next coming we- the next couple of weeks. Um, this is one of those clips that won't stop circulating the internet anytime soon. Man, America's Team of the Week providing all sorts of uh, happy moments in this game, even if they didn't come with a way to win. Uh, Mike, we also have our Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. You want to talk about that one? Yeah, that goes to the North Carolina Special Teams Unit. Um, you give up a punt return touchdown. You have a punt blocked. Uh not a good effort, and I'd say the tackling just on special teams in general wasn't very good. Um, they had Greg Stroman down basically twice on the 91-yard punt return. Um, yeah, UNC special teams, you get the U-Tried award. The UNC the UNC offensive line could also get a U-Tried award as well, maybe even more so than the special teams, Joey. Kind of calling an audible based on what we have on the sheet here. Um, UNC's offensive line completely inept the entire football game now they went up against a very good front seven in virginia tech but Chaz surratt and brandon harris were completely and totally annihilated in this football game hit multiple times in the backfield harris threw two picks uh surratt lost a fumble uh virginia tech had six total sacks on the game 13 tackles for loss officially uh two quarterback hurries there as well North Carolina, you get the You Tried Award. I don't want to crap all over them too badly because I know how injured they are, and I know that Larry Fedora is a good coach and has that team well coached more often than not. This is a lost season for the Tar Heels, but yeah, I'd say UNC's special teams and offensive line gets the You Tried Award for attempting to stop a Virginia Tech tra- uh, train that just basically ran all over them there on Saturday. Virginia Tech finishes this game with six sacks, two QB hurries, and 13 tackles for a loss, Mike. Uh, Tim Settle by himself had three and a half tackles for a loss in the sack that knocked out Chaz Surratt initially. Yeah, he killed him on that one. Man, uh, this was a, a dominant effort by the Hokies' defense and a very, very poor effort by North Carolina's offensive line. So, um, yeah, not great. UNC, you tried. And uh, you almost got within 50 points in this game. So, um, good on you. Good on you. Uh, Mike, anything else we got to get to before we get out of here? I think we're good. Pretty thorough recap, I'd say. Yeah, this has been a longer recap. This has been fun. Um, we got some people to thank for their social media uh, uh, participation, we'll say. That we do, Joey. Uh, Casey Lowry, Craig Williams, Jerry Harris. All three of them just liked us on Facebook, liked our Facebook page. So, once again, go check us out, facebook.com slash basketballconference. Uh, we put all our podcasts up there and some other things randomly from time to time. So, go check us out there. You can hear all our stuff on there as well. So, keep doing that. Good on the yeah. three of you gentlemen for checking out our Facebook site there. Yeah, thank you guys. Doing your part. Appreciate the uh, the support and hope you enjoy the podcast. Like like we said, go find us, facebook.com slash basketballconference. Um, 
Mike, they can find us also on iTunes, on Google Play, on SoundCloud, on the Overcast app, and some places and others that we do or don't have podcasts at. You know, we'll compile that list one day. Uh, maybe not anytime soon. We'll have to see. Uh, they can send us an email to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Still looking for chain, bad chain emails or Miami fans. Get up in those emails and criticize me some more. I'm waiting mm-hmm. for it. I embrace it. Mike has uh, been fighting a good fight all week, uh, enjoying the back and forth banter on Twitter. So objectivity, bring that brutal. to the emails. Objectivity is brutal. Remember that. <laughs> it can be a little brutal sometimes. Um, Mike, they can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. You are at Mike McDaniel ACC, and together we're at BC Podcast ACC. Since I'm just doing all these plugs like in reverse this week, I'm gonna you know keep people on their toes. Uh, what else before we get out of here and, uh, come back to preview week nine? Uh, yeah, nothing other than we got a preview coming later this week. Like usual, it'll be yes, good. We do. A couple big games this weekend. We do have some big games this weekend. This is, things are going to uh, ramp back up here a little bit after uh, a couple of, of somewhat quieter, but still, you know, interesting in their own way. Kind of, uh, kind of weeks. Uh, it'll be interesting. So come back and check it out when we do preview week nine here very soon. Uh, Mike, you want to do that sometime earlier this week? Yeah, let's do it. Should be good. Sounds good. We'll talk then. All right. Well, until then, for Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next time, go ACC. Go ACC.